Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. is Greg McKinney. My wife and I are the lead pastors here at Glory Church, and uh, it's exciting each and every time we see new faces. Uh, New faces are so fun for a new church. Uh, We just launched in February and uh, honestly made it seven weeks, and then quarantine happened. And uh, we're on week five now of being back. And so in a couple of weeks, we will have, uh, you know, maybe as much in-person services as online services. Um, But we're, we're we're, we're dealing with it. Um, I am excited. Perhaps you are here because God has changed you. Um, and in fact, that, that's literally the heartbeat of Glory Church. Our vision is that we see a city changed by homes that are changed. That if our city is going to be shaped, it's not going to be done by a Sunday morning. It's going to be done by homes experiencing the peace, the love, the life, the victory of Jesus, and then allowing that to flood into everything. And so uh, we are all about that. And maybe you have experienced change in your short time or long time of being with us here. That's something to celebrate. Some of you maybe have seen God in new ways since you've been with us, or maybe you've, you've changed how you viewed yourself, or maybe there's been personal victories or changes, or maybe your hope has been elevated peace. Maybe some things have been healed in the past. That's what we're here for. And I say all of this because next week, we actually get to celebrate some life change together as a church. Uh, We're going to have our second uh, baptism Sunday ever as a new church, and we have five names already written down to uh, be in that YMCA pool with me next weekend, and I'm really excited, guys. So uh, baptism here at Glory Church, I fully believe that it is this outward display of a heart that has been radically changed. It is this uh, statement that I don't care who knows it, but I follow Christ. He has changed my life, and just like I'm going down in the water and coming back out, my life has been lined with his death and lined with his life. And so maybe you've never stepped foot in the uh, pool of baptism. I don't know, the the waters of baptism. Maybe you've never taken that step in your faith, uh, but you've known him for a long time, or you've known him uh, for just a short time. I'd encourage you, uh, under everyone's chairs, if you would like to look, is a connect card. Normally, we draw your attention to it earlier on in the service, uh, but under your chairs are a connect card, and on the flip side of it, you have an opportunity to say, like, I would like to get baptized. I would like to talk with, uh, with someone more about that, and I'd love to talk with you. Uh, I'd love to, to explain that, but we are all about life change. And so if you are new and maybe you haven't filled that out, you can also see on the back prayer requests are written. We care deeply about what you put on those prayer requests. If you're watching on on Facebook and you have a prayer need, you can message us at any time. Those are of utmost importance to us. But you're checking in this week, whether you're on Facebook or here with us, we're in week five of a series called Blessed. And we've been track, uh, tracking along with uh, the Beatitudes in Scripture. And uh, I don't know if you have been with us each and every week, but God has stretched me. Some of you, it has been really encouraging. Some of you have said that you've heard the uh, Beatitudes for years, and it's making more sense in some of these than ever before. Thank you. Like, I'm so thankful that you're present in this. Like, God has been wrecking me as I've dove into these. And we are on the fifth beatitude this morning. 
the fifth one. And so we've been tracking along uh, week by week. If you missed any of those, you can find them. But I, if you will do me the favor, like we're just going to dive right on in. I don't want to waste any time. I don't have this uh, powerful little hook for you other than just what Jesus speaks. Because what he's going to say in this short little sentence, literally in less than 30 seconds, you can speak this sentence to someone. What he says is going to be familiar words to you. It was familiar words to the people who heard it. But for some reason, the, uh, the familiarity of the words did not help the, uh, the, the cognition of the sentence. It didn't make sense. These people are blessed, Jesus. And so as we read it, you, you can open up yourself. It'll be up on the screen, but it is going to be from verse 7 of Matthew 5, where Jesus looks out at the audience and really quickly says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Period. Done. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And he just keeps going. But there is such a weight. Who is blessed? Those who are merciful. Those who have mercy in them. What a quick, easy, simple statement. But mercy literally means those who have a heart pull on the downtrodden, the less than. Those who care and serve have this irresistible love for the ignorant, the careless. Those who uh, are small maybe even small-minded, mercy irresistibly loves them. And this is, uh, I would say, it's safe to say that some of you maybe are more naturally inclined to being merciful, while others of you may struggle. A fun little game that you can play later is ask the person who knows you the most how merciful you are. And they will uh, give you the blunt answer. I did this myself. I walked downstairs as I was working on this message. And uh, Kate was having some of her alone time. I don't know what the kids were doing, but miraculously, they weren't all around her. And I said, hey, uh, I have a, a, a question for you. But you have to answer it just like your gut reaction. And she was like, okay. And I'm like do you think I'm merciful? And she does this. I said, what? Like, I'm a merciful kind of guy. Like, I have mercy, Kate. I am merciful. And she's like, um, <laughs> you have an expectation. And uh, when it's not met from people, especially our kids, I mean, I'll be honest, when it's not met by your kids, I get a little angry. I mean, when they fall down the stairs, why don't they just pay attention to what they're doing? <laughs> And I'm terrible, guys. Like, when they get hurt, and for some reason, my first gut reaction is, but you shouldn't have done that. Like, it's hot. The iron is hot. Why would you come over here? And <laughs> I lack mercy. But maybe you do, too. Uh, it, we, as we were talking, it, though it's my kids that I struggle with mercy, sometimes Kate struggles with mercy with people she doesn't know, and maybe that's you. Or maybe for you, it's the, uh, the stupid people. You just have a hard time being merciful for someone who's just not doing the right thing. And you're just like, come on, you should know better. Or maybe you have a hard time being merciful to your family, your parents, your extended family. Maybe you have a hard time being merciful to the, the people around you who you know the best and you expect more, or strangers, or your coworkers, or the people who ask too many questions at work. I don't know who it is, but we all struggle with mercy. And it's not this blanket statement that we're unmerciful people. I think the reason why, if you're taking notes, is that we are people who are stuck living between mercies. Now, think about this practically. We are people who are stuck living between mercies. If you're a believer in the room, then the merciful God picked you up, didn't he? Scripture says that he picked us up out of the miry clay. He has wiped us off. Even when we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and we met mercy. Mercy. 
But yet all of the mercy of yesterday, even though it's all there in my life, can we all just agree on the fact that I'm going to need some mercy today and mercy tomorrow, that we are people awkwardly stuck between mercies, mercies of yesterday and mercy needed for today. And that therefore shows that we not only need to learn mercy, but we need to learn how to give it. Because mercy is one of those things that you can only give it once you've received it. And once you give it, you receive it. And once you give it, that literally, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. God has given us mercy, and there will be more needed today, which therefore shows us we've got some mercy to be learned. I have some mercy. So as we get into this, uh, we're going to open up to 1 John chapter 3, and, and John writes this. He's mirroring a passage in Deuteronomy. And he says this, how does God's love and mercy, how can it abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action, mercy, truth and action. Now I want to get you this, your eyes on this refuses to help piece because this is, is big. Uh, he says refuses to help. And there's a gravity, uh, like a, a a gravity to that. There's a little pull and push. I don't know about you, but there's some shades of gray to refuse us to help. Sometimes I help, but I don't do all that I could do, right? Sometimes we help, but we don't do all that we can do. On this word, refuses to help, the phrase could also be translated as closes his heart. Someone who closes their heart. Now, I don't know about you, but there are some situations that I'd rather not act like I saw so that I don't have to uh, be present in them. There are some situations that maybe you just want to close the door on and keep going. I don't think we like close the door of our heart always, but as people who still are struggling with mercy, I think it's because we have aspects of our heart that are still closed still closed, that there is this opening that has to happen that as we get into this, and maybe it's in hindsight, you can agree that though you are uh, merciful, there's also been scenarios where you've uh, addressed someone with a little bit of closed heart. Anyone? Am I just the only person in this? You address someone with a little bit of a closed heart. I have stories of that myself. But as we get into this, the closed heart's a real deal. But as we talk about mercy and what a heart looks like to grow in it, God's going to call you to grow in an open heart. So maybe we can step into that a little bit if you'll do me some, the honor of it, uh, being vulnerable myself, but we all need some openness when it comes to our heart. So if you're taking notes, I would love for you to write this down, that when it comes to mercy, mercy stops and sees. Mercy stops and sees. And this is something that I need you to realize because sometimes we don't even get to the see part because we, we struggle with the stopping part. Uh, there's a lot of things that get in the way of me stopping in any given day. My pursuits, the good things that I want, the, the, the things that I've planned for the day, the average Jew, when they would have heard Jesus say this, blessed are the merciful disciples for they will receive mercy. Listen how wrong that is in the mind of a Jew. No, the Torah tells us that we receive the mercy from God when we give the atoning sacrifice. That's how we get his mercy. The, the Torah would say the more we do, right? The Pharisees have taught me. The more we do, if we have clean living, if we meet the requirements of the offerings, if we give the grain offering at the right time, if I give my unblemished bull, then God's mercy will be for me. Not the merciful. No, the ones who give the ones who do the right thing, right? 
And Jesus would be seen later on in Matthew 9. If you want to read this section later, please do. In Matthew 9, he's seen with some prostitutes and tax collectors. He's seen with the scum of the earth, and he's eating with them, dining with them, and the Pharisees come and say, why are you doing this? And he says, I, I've, I've come for the sick. The sick need the doctor. The healthy don't. And then he says, I need you to learn this phrase. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And you can keep this up for a little bit. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In other words, Pharisees, if you do good, good. If you have an offering, do it. If you have good pursuits today, do it. If you have some good things planned in your day, do it. But if it prohibits you from stopping and giving mercy, then it's for nothing because I desire mercy, not sacrifice. A heart that sees people. And so we constantly see Jesus in scripture stopping and seeing. He stops and sees. He stops and sees. When it comes to a prostitute or the adulterous woman, he's going to stop and see. When it comes to the, the, the person who has leprosy, he's going to stop and see. He's going to stop and he's going to see. And another way that we could say this is that mercy identifies with people. Mercy identifies. It's this cognitive decision in us to see beyond the shell of others that you're identifying. I want you to think of right now the person, the iconic person. I need everyone to be like, you're going to come up with a person in your mind, the iconic person that you identify with the least. To be merciful is to do your part to identify with them. Literally, think about it. A prostitute woman is the farthest from Jesus. <laughs> he's a man, and he's not a prostitute. And, and he, like in any way, right, it's the furthest. He's pure at heart. And yet, he identifies with her. I think when it comes to our lack of mercy, I think it's because our closed heart is quicker to judge than to identify with people. Like, think about it. Every statement of judgment that you and I can make on someone, even if it's just in our brain, every statement of justice that you make on someone will lead you further away from mercy. It, it literally justifies for yourself why you shouldn't. It, like, as I play out statements of judgment in my mind, it also justifies why I'm not the one to stop, right? And then I keep going. Or we make assumptions, and every assumption, every step further away makes the step closer, harder. But we have to realize where a closed heart does this, mercy looks closer. Again and again, mercy will identify with people. You know in that section in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, I need you to hear this. You know the section in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, where it says uh, that we are new creations, the, young is, uh, the, the old is gone and the new has come. We love that. I mean, that is tweetable. You could put that on a picture. That could be a status. But listen, we take that out of context. Did you know that this verse comes right before it? That Paul says we are compelled by God's love. Do you know why we're compelled by God's love? Because from now on, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once regarded Christ as that. But we regard no one in a human point of view. Why? Because we're new creations. You're not a new creation for your sake. You're a new creation so that you see people differently, so that you may have mercy upon them. You want this statement, write it down. It's pretty, pretty blunt. Your newness is to cater to the change that God is wanting to bring upon those around you. That's why you are new. You're a new creation and the old is gone and the new has come. That's not to pat your back. It's so that you're merciful and care for the burdens of others. 
Because though you once saw Christ from a human point of view, you do so no longer. You have new eyes. The old is gone, the new has come. So you can identify. You can identify. A way that you can uh, press into this a little bit more is to ask yourself this question of people. What lies might they be believing right now? This is how you can identify with someone. What lies might they be believing right now? Maybe you need to ask this of your spouse. Maybe you need to ask this of your kids. Maybe you need to ask this of your adult kids. Maybe you need to ask this of people that you struggle with. Maybe the, the homeless person on the street. Maybe you need to ask this of the uh, Facebook friend that is consistently posting. They're still stuck there. And ask yourself this. What lies might they be believing? What are the things that are paralyzing them? What are the lies that still have, have, have took hold of them that has prohibited them from moving on? As we can start claiming this, I had to do this with students because when I was a student pastor, sometimes students are just hard to deal with. But as you see a bigger picture, you start separating them from the enemy because they aren't the enemy. They're believing lies from the enemy. And every time you see them as that judgment will be your thought instead of identifying with them. So what lie are they believing? You're not going to enable them in this lie. Mercy doesn't enable. Mercy restores. So literally, once you identify their lie, you now have an obligation. Because mercy does not just stop and see, but there's another one I need you to write down. Mercy, it carries patiently. There's this patient carrying. Now, this one got me, guys. Uh, when I searched scripture for how God's mercy handles us, Romans 9 came Whew, and Romans 9 is a hard passage. I encourage you, read that this week and be confused, all right? And when you're confused, when you're confused, you can message me and I will just try to not confuse you more because I'm still confused. But Romans 9 is confusing, but there's a beautiful section where he talks about, Paul writes about of God's mercy and how it is the same for those who don't know him as those who do. And his mercy is this beautiful thing and how it is, the same in, in some ways as this. He paints this picture of God being a potter. And in the potter's hands, there are some objects that become objects of mercy because they're people who follow him, people who give their life to him. But also, Paul talks about there are objects of wrath, objects that are going to be destined for wrath. And yet the potter molds both. And this is something that, that Paul is like, wow. In his hands are both the objects of wrath and the objects of mercy. And he says this, that God has endured with much patience the objects of wrath. That the objects of wrath, and not just mercy, literally look it up. Romans 9.22 says he's, he's uh, endured with much patience the objects of, not mercy, wrath. And if you follow in that, it's so that it shows the glory of Christ even more that our God still molds and gives grace, allows people to have the pleasures of life. He is endured with patience. And another way to say this is that he has, uh, that word can be translated as patiently carries them. That even people who never will love him, he patiently carries them. Now that's, that's, that hits me. Our God carries with deep patience those who will never love him, follow him up until the moment that they die. Now, this is a beautiful picture of what mercy looks like. It carries people even if no love will ever come from them to you. Now, this is something beautiful that I struggle with, that mercy patiently carries. And I like to uh, not carry people that I don't like very far, right? Like, I don't want to carry you very far. 
Like, can I, I want to be done with you because uh, you're hard to love, but mercy will constantly carry. Now, I wrote this down that, that God's mercy is greater than someone giving a handout because even a closed heart can grant a handout, right? A closed heart can give some food to someone. A closed heart can, but a merciful heart patiently endures the person to a place of healing, a place that is better, a merciful heart. It, it, it carries someone onward. There's a closeness, a, uh, a literal patient endurance, a part of mercy that you cannot get with a closed heart. In other words, this is what separates uh, the hand of mercy from the hand of pity. And I think we can be quick to being uh, pitiful to people instead of merciful. The hand of pity may give them a handout, but it's not going to destroy the, the lies that have been aching in their life. Mercy will destroy the lies. Now, this is the beautiful thing that we have. Literally, we have the opportunity to, to remain with people where pity will go home. We have the ability to, to see the problem and meet the need where pity wants to uh, think about it. Pity wants to grant their wishes so that you could go on your day. Mercy will grant the need, answer the lie, provide truth where pity will just give them what they want so they leave. Where pity enables, get this, where pity enables with handouts. You realize that sometimes the worst thing we can do is sim uh, merely give someone a handout? Where pity enables, mercy empowers with a friendship. Now, this is the difference because you're committing now to be merciful to someone, and that's not a one-and-done thing. That is a now closeness required to patiently carry them somewhere. There's a beautiful aspect to this that we overlook. The definition of mercy, if you look it up on Webster, is to literally have the power to harm someone, yet deciding not to. And for this, you have the power or the right to leave situations. You do. We have legs. We have, a, we have a schedule. We have a job that gives us the right to not be present. Like, think about it. We have the power and right, but we have the divine calling to stay. And I think that there's people that we need to stay with instead of be pitiful with. And that will stretch us. And that will prod at us. And I think what is wrong with this picture is uh, we, we often like to keep. And we've talked about keeping and carrying a lot in our love one another. Uh, that's one of our core values, that we will love our neighbor. Uh, do you remember that uh, Glory family who was with us a long time ago when we, we dove into our values? We talked about loving one another and dove into the Good Samaritan story. Well, there's a difference between carrying and keeping. Pity keeps. Pity keeps someone on their friend list. Pity keeps someone in their prayer list. Pity, pity will keep someone uh, in their life. But mercy is so much more beautiful. It carries people. And so I have something. Uh, I, need a, I need a help right here. Yeah. Uh, Leighton's going to be my little helper. Everyone say, good job, Leighton. Leighton, I need you to carry this for me. I need you to just carry it, man. Now, I need you to realize, what is wrong with this picture? If you just ask someone to carry something and then let them just awkwardly do this and not give any direction or movement, how awkward is that? But if I said, hey, can you keep this? Now he's like, okay, I guess I go back to my seat. I'm like, what do I do? Uh, because keeping and caring is very different in, in a physical way. Thank you, man. You're good. Everyone give him a round of applause. Yeah, there you go. 
And the reason is because when someone carries something, there is a, the person who said, hey, can you carry this? There's a desired location designed by that person for it to be carried somewhere. And it would be awkward if we didn't do that. Now listen to this. Where pity may keep them on your friend list, scripture says that we are to be merciful, that we are to carry one another's burdens, that our God has uniquely designed us now to carry the needs of others. And so therefore, since he said, hey, carry them, we should now say, okay, God, where is your desired, where's your desired location? Where is the designed place that you have led them to? Like, where is the place of healing that it needs to go? Because now you got to be intentional and ask God for it. Often people tell us their problems and we keep them. And there's no direction in our mind of where it should go. And we don't help or move or operate anywhere further than that, 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 that situation, that happening. But mercy carries. Mercy carries. I wrote this down where pity it will burden us and, and keep us there. Mercy carries people into life. Pity may keep people in your life, but mercy carries people. It carries people to life. Now, this is something beautiful that I overlook and you overlook and we overlook, but maybe your spouse needs to be carried at times. Maybe, uh, maybe your kids need to be carried. Where you just want to give them pity Maybe there's some lies that need to be uh, carried. And what I mean by this is after you, right, have stopped and seed and identified with them and you name that lie, now you have an opportunity to bring truth. And that is hard and that's uncomfortable. Think about the mercy of God if there was someone who miraculously got in a wreck and they lived. All right, we could play this scenario. Someone miraculously lived when they got in this wreck, huge wreck. God's mercy was found there. But God's mercy is still there three weeks later when they're still struggling to heal and still struggling to heal. It's not a one and done thing, but it's a consistent being with the person as they heal. And this is what we've got to do. It's not a one and done conversation with your spouse. It is a constant carrying to a place designed not of you wanting it to be there, but a place designed by God. I mean, when was the last time you carried someone? Actually, walked with them through something, especially those who uh, you struggle with. And as we end this, uh, the band can come on up. I have one last, one last thing for you. If you're wanting to take notes, write this one down, that mercy disrupts order. If you're not going to hear anything this morning, I need you to hear this, that the most beautiful thing is I searched out scripture for this word of mercy and what we do and how God does it. Mercy disrupts order. Did you know there's a natural order to this life, right? Like broken people break people. Hurt people hurt people. Uh, bad things, you want to retaliate. When, when uh, someone is shameful, they will do shameful things. There's just a natural order. And if God doesn't intervene, then it will always lead to decay. Think about it. Things decay over time. There's a natural order to life. That the cycle of judgment that the homeless person is going in is just as strong as the cycle of poverty. Think about that. The cycle of judgment of their life. The cycle of assumptions on people is just as heavy. That there is a natural order to all of our life and what mercy does is disrupts it. And maybe I shouldn't say disrupts order, but we can just say the natural order is actually disorder, right? So mercy does this beautiful job of disrupting disorder and restoring order.
Now, do you understand what I mean by that? Like there is some disruption that has happened in my life where I have been spiraled down in sin and God changes the order and brings restoration where I've been spiraling down in lies or fear or insecurity and God has disrupted that order and brought in hope, healing. Now, there are some people in your life that have a natural order. I think of my seven, our, our seven-year-old kids. If left on their own, there's going to be a natural order. If we don't step in and parent them like God has called. My daughter will spiral into the lies that she believes. That without God's inter- intervention, my son will spiral down. That we will naturally spiral into the order of the fallen world. Now, does that mean that it's your job only to disrupt it? No. But you have this ministry of reconciliation to make things right, to step in, to notice the lie and speak into it. That maybe there is some glorious disruption that needs to happen in your home. There's some glorious disruption maybe that needs to happen on your street or in our city. Some glorious disruption. I need to ask yourself, like, God, who are the people that I need to be merciful to? Who are the people that I need to carry? Who are the people that I need to stop and see? What are the times that I uh, am the quickest to not stop? What are the moments that uh, maybe I have gone with the natural order and have, have helped in on the cycle of judgment in someone's life instead of stopping it, disrupting it? What are the times that have played a role in people's lives instead of disrupting it? There's a beautiful change that happens when we do that. Will you pray with me? God, you are God of mercy and grace. And I am a man that has been changed by your mercy. And it's not this this thing I, I hold lightly, God. That you found me in my pain and yet consistently held me through it. That you know deeply my lies and you carry me through them to truth. I thank you for every person that you've brought in my life along the way. The men, the women who've poured into my life, who have directed me away from lies and have disrupted the natural order of shame that the enemy wants to take hold. And you've made me new by the working of your mercy through others. Again and again. So God, I just pray right now, will you forgive us for every time we've judged, made assumptions, kept walking, Forgive us for every time that we have not stopped to see. Forgive me for every time that I've justified. Forgive me for every time that I haven't identified, that I haven't carried patiently. And God, maybe there's someone in this room right now that would would admit that they don't know your mercy at all that they've ne- they're in a place right now and they've never been carried out of it because they didn't know that that's the kind of God you are. There's an opportunity for that too, God, and I know it. We love you, Jesus, and I pray for mercy upon mercy. Teach me so I can give it, that I may learn it and give it. In your name. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.